chapter 8, 9 through 19. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be scattered, shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place. For both Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. Thank you, Karen. Lord, um, we thank you for the extra measure of grace you give us in all circumstances. I that you would speak to us as we look into your word in Yeshua's name. Amen. So you've been hearing that this month, the month of Elul, the Hebrew month of Elul is a time when, uh, according to tra tradition, um, Jewish people are expected to prepare for the holidays. And um, just a word about tradition. Tradition can be good, bad, or ugly. And so our goal at Yeshua Tzion is to embrace the things in Jewish tradition that we feel are God-honoring and biblically consistent, and there's a lot of that, um, particularly when it comes to the area of slichot. Remember we talked about slichot? No? Yes? Can you say slichot? Which um, literally means forgivenesses, because salach in Hebrew means to forgive. Uh, these are penitential prayers that are offered during the month of Elul, particularly the last four days as we come into uh, Rosh Hashanah. They become more intense. And basically the theme is of Slichot is asking God for forgiveness, recognizing the fact that because of the nation's sins, God has had to bring on his judgment and that his judgment is just, and yet um, the prayers are asking God to bring about salvation and, and restoration, which is what we find throughout Scripture, by the way. So uh, this very much fits in to our approach to the holidays um, because we, we take a week, uh, and by the way, in Israel, the believers take 40 days, so they're a little bit more intense. Well, in Israel, you have to be a little bit more intense 
The country's intense. Um, having lived there, I can um, speak with some degree of authority. Um, so for us, this time of year is about repentance. And uh, repentance in our relationship with people and repentance in our relationship with God. And, and I would say for each person here, there are probably at least one or two or multiple stories of brokenness in relationships and the need for forgiveness, the need for restoration, um, which of course is, um, uh, impacts our relationship with God because we also have uh, the need for repentance in our relationship with God. And I realize when we talk about repentance, um, it is as appetizing as ground glass kind of supper. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we're not particularly uh, enthused about that because our attitude is, I'm okay, I'm fine, things are under control, and don't talk to me about repentance because repentance means there's something wrong with me. Well, the short answer is yes, with all of us. Um, not that we're interested in self-deprecation and doing what the penitentes in southwest Colorado do, or, or the Shia, and that is to beat themselves with, with whips and uh, etc. No, thank you. Uh, we worship a God who is full of mercy and grace. So when we consider the topic of repentance, we don't come with dread and uh, what will happen if God exposes my yuck. Well, I would hope that today you feel like saying, God, um, it's okay. It's okay for you to expose my yuck because I know you'll do it in the way that is safe and proper and uh, redemptive, and I welcome you. Um, a major part of repentance for all of us is our unwilling or inability to trust God. Now, Rabbi David, I think, last Shabbat mentioned the fact that for a lot of us, faith is a one-time thing. You know, uh, you have an encounter with God. He makes things real clear. And you have basically a fork in the road. You choose God. You have eternal life, i.e. Um, fire insurance. You choose your own stupidity. Well, you know where that leads you. And, and that's the end. However, um, if you understand the teaching of Scripture about who God is, the fact that God is a holy God. And if you desire to draw nearer to God, part of the process will be, by definition, is that your yak will be exposed. Because you will see how awesome and incredible God is and at different points in your relationship with God as you walk along, stuff will surface and you will see Things that the Spirit of God points out to you. And by the way, uh, Michael earlier referred to examine yourself. And I'm glad he pointed out the fact that we do not have the capacity 
to figure things out in ourselves that are off kilter. And we bring ourselves simply to God and say, God, here I am. Shine the flashlight on the things that are out of whack. And it's a biggie. And particularly the area of unbelief. In other words, not willing to trust God in certain areas. And the truth is, for all of us, there are areas in our life where we struggle with unbelief. We're not willing to trust God. And perhaps if you've been a believer, you've followed the Lord for a while, there are some areas where you're absolutely stellar. You know, you really get it. You know that God will take care of you, no problems. And then there are other areas where your faith is wobbly and you kind of go, okay, I think I'm going to need to shift into gear here and fix the problem. And okay, God, yeah, please um, sprinkle some pixie dust, but it's, it's me, needing to, me needing to do that. And part of the process, uh, it's not just faith cognitively up here are saying, God, I believe you. Remember that in Scripture, faith always leads to obedient action. Always. It's not just uh, thoughts, attitude, motives, but it results, it reflects in our willingness to say, okay, God, since I trust you, I'm going to follow in the path that you have laid out for me, and I'm going to obey you. And the Scripture that Karen read to us is a premium example of a guy who just didn't get it. And I want to take some time and talk about the background here, the historical background of what we see here. And by the way, this is part of a two-chapter deal um, because if you remember uh, chapter 7, you'll see that God sends... Isaiah to talk to this king, King Ahaz, and say to him, I am in control. Now, to give a little bit of background, um, what happened before was what historians call the Syro-Ephraimite War. In other words, the war that involved Syria, uh, which was also called Aram, and also uh, Ephraim or Israel, which was the northern kingdom. Now, above them was the kingdom of the Neo-Assyrians. In other words, the Assyrian Empire got kicked into action, got, uh, got stronger and stronger, and it moved west. It, uh, it conquered Syria, and then it came and conquered Israel. And so each of these guys, and of course came down to Judah, and each of these guys had to pay tribute it's like major taxes. And so at some point, Syria and Israel said, I've had enough. Not interested in, in paying my hard-earned cash to these Assyrian bums. And, oh, by the way, let's go and see if we can recruit Judah to join in with our, with our conspiracy to overthrow Assyria. And uh, apparently Ahaz wanted nothing to do with that. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about Ahaz, that we have pictures, we have snapshots of him from the historical books, um, First Kings and also uh, First Chronicles, First Kings uh, 16. And if you were to look him up in a dictionary, 
Next to his name, you would see the word bum. He was a young guy. No problem with young guys because some young guys had a wonderful heart for God. But this guy was convinced that he needed to do his own thing, which in this case meant following the gods of the nations around. Remember what, what we talked about during the Torah service. Do not do that. Don't be stupid. Uh, he did that. Um, and he, um, to make matters worse, he passed his son through the fire. Now, it's all in all likelihood, what that probably means is that he threw his son into the, um, into the fire that was kept burning inside the statue to Molech, uh, the, the Moabite Midian, Midianite god, uh, that Scripture says explicitly, do not do that. For, that. for those kinds of abominations, God will judge you. By the way, the spirit of Molech is alive and well today. Uh, not that people throw their kids into the fire, but uh, they do worse. And so God allowed the, uh, the conspiracy of Syria and, and Israel to come and, and take a big chunk out of Judah. We're told in the historical books that 122,000 men from Judah died in one day. Now, that's a lot of people. And yet, God still loves this guy because of his covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. And he is endeavoring to get his attention. And this is the one thing, folks, when people say that the New Testament has the picture of a merciful God, the Old Testament has a picture of a cruel God, they haven't read the Old Testament, the Tanakh. Because what the picture that is staring at you that is so clear is the fact that God is unbelievably merciful. Even when, when his people spit in his face and, and cheat on him and do all these abominable things, he still comes back for more. Which is such a powerful statement of who God is, period. How he operates with us. And so in chapter 7, God tells Isaiah to go out with his son, She'ar Yashuv. I know you look in the King James and other translations, you'll go, huh? Uh, She'ar Yashuv means uh, a remnant will return. Um, and, uh, and, and tell the king that regardless of what these other guys are thinking, it's not going to happen. Regardless of, of the threatening messages that uh, Syria and Israel sent to him, uh, it's not going to happen. And what God says to him through Isaiah, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Uh, in English, it doesn't have the punch, but in Hebrew, it's very strong. There's a play on words. Im lo ta'aminu, it comes from the Hebrew word uh, to be, to be um, certain. If you are not certain in your faith, you will not be certain and be secure. 
to Ahaz. And of course, uh, as we'll find out, Ahaz totally disregards, totally blows off the message. And God sends uh, Isaiah to come to him again. And uh, this time he gives a different message. And he has um, Isaiah um, give a weird name to his son. I know we've all had jokes about this. Um, Isaiah's uh, son going to school and people saying, what's happening, Meher Shalal Khashbaz? Which means uh, hasten to the spoils, hasten, run to the um, to the uh, plunder. And that was also a prophetic message that God wanted to give Ahaz the second time around, folks. Again, you you talk about God's unbelievable mercy. Um, Ahaz is not interested. He's convinced in his own stupidity that this is what he needs to do. And he does it. And he hooks up with the Assyrians. And, of course, they don't do things cheaply. They require stuff. And so what Ahaz ends up doing is plundering the temple of God and and giving different elements from the temple to, in essence, bribe the Assyrians to come and help him out, which they do. And uh, eventually, the northern kingdom is hauled off into exile. Um, The so-called Ten Lost Tribes, by the way, there's no such thing as the Ten Lost Tribes because um, they came back into, uh, into Israel after the Babylonian exile. So Ahaz is people's exhibit A of someone who is not willing to trust God, who is not willing to repent when God challenges him. And because of that, he experiences major judgment from God because he doesn't know who God is and he's not willing to to accept the message from God. And and I, I, I know all of us want to say, well, that's not me. Sometimes. Sometimes. Reality is that in some ways we have found Ahaz and Ahaz is us. Okay, I'm not pointing at anybody because I've got several fingers pointing at me. Um, and so part of what happens, folks, is when we go through difficulties, then our inclination is to say, okay, uh, God isn't helping me here, so I'm going to go and recruit Assyria to help me out. Now, I've been hearing over and over and over again the last several weeks, actually, the several months, that folks at Yeshua Tzion have experienced all kinds of problems and difficulties and, and, and car accidents and, and uh, sicknesses and different things that on one level you say, okay, this is life and people get sick and people have car accident. You drive an I-25, etc., etc. However, there are times when you step back and you see the larger picture and you say, you know, there's really more to it than this. And no, we do not want to 
give glory to Satan or to look at, at a demon behind every bush. But there are clearly times when we recognize that the evil one is at work and it gets discouraging. So we try to fix it. Which means, for all practical purposes, we shove God out of the picture. Which means that we don't trust God, which also means that we're not interested in doing what God tells us because we're busy taking care of business the way we see things should be taken care of. And at some point, God Almighty has to get a hold of us so that we understand the fact that, you know, yes, the, there are bad things happening. Yes, Satan is at work. However, through all any and all of that, God is at work. Uh, folks, if you don't believe that, I want to encourage you to grab that with both hands and feet. At least for me, that's what keep, keeps me relatively sane. I say relatively. And you either embrace that or you don't. And I've, I've had several experiences that have drawn my attention to the fact that God is at work and he's got things under control. Um, several, I've had three car accidents since '09. One time I was driving on 225, someone came, everybody stopped, person behind me didn't, and bam, a uh, car was totaled. Then we got a new car. And I, I was coming to the chiropractor, a gal pulled in front of me, I slammed on the brakes, couldn't stop in time, smashed right into her, the airbag deployed and came about this close to my face. And I had to get another uh, rental car, go back to the chiropractor. <laughs> then another time was coming back from Bible study and opened the door. My head was in, in the car looking for something. I opened the door and some gal came 30, 40 miles an hour, smashed into my door. Um, the door almost came off its hinges. Different parts of the door were scattered for a uh, half a block or so. And I got out and was looking and saying, okay, God, um, I know you're in control. And that's something somehow God has managed to put into my brain, heart, every part of my DNA. However, all of us have buttons that are not under God's control. Fear buttons that we are not willing or able to give God control because we are not convinced that he is able to take care of things. We don't trust him. And I know you perhaps are inclined to say, no, nah, not me, this person, Greg over there maybe. Um, but that's a difficult admission on one hand. On the other hand, folks, it's also a freeing admission. There's liberty in that because you're able to come to your Heavenly Father and say, Lord, please forgive me. I have this stuff that's not very pleasing and I know is, is not particularly cute. 
And would you please deal with it? Would you please take it? Especially when it feels like we're in a situation where we have a mountain in front of us. And remember what Yeshua said, if you have enough faith, you'll be able to look at, at the mountains and say, pick up and scoot. And I know that's one of the parts of Scripture where I look at it and say, okay, you're talking about some kind of spiritual giant. But the truth is, God in the fact that he wants to grow us in faith allows things to come into our life. And we have a basic choice. We're confronted with a basic uh, decision. Am I going to trust God? Am I not going to trust God? It's real simple. And yeah, we can put all kinds of spiritual language around it. Uh, it boils down to, am I willing to trust God or not? And yes, Hasatan is at work wanting to distract us from God's purposes to promote fear, to push buttons of fear in us. But we either learn to trust God or we don't. And one of the things you find here in this, in this passage that is incredible is that God is looking at, at the anti-Judah conspiracy and basically saying to them, get smashed. Verse 9, you will be broken, O nations, you will be shattered. Pay attention, you distant lands of the earth. Get ready for battle, you'll be shattered. Get ready for battle, you'll be shattered. Okay, we get it. Why? Because the Lord is saying what makes the difference is not the army that Judah had versus the army that Syria and Israel had. What makes the difference is the fact, ki Immanuel, because the Lord is with us. And, and verse, verse 10 is, is a verse that we have often quoted from time to time. When we hear that the terrorists are endeavoring to do all kinds of mischief and mayhem and bloodshed in different places, especially in Israel, and we stand on that. We, we say, Lord, this is what you say. We, we take it for good money. We expect that this will be a reality. Verse 10, devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand because God is with us. So what's incredible here is, is with this unbelieving nudnik called Ahaz, God keeps coming back and saying to them, I have a plan, and I'm able to help you, bozo, if you're willing to trust me and allow me to do my job. And this is, by the way, a message that we see uh, Isaiah proclaiming to the people of, of Judah over and over and over and over again. Don't go to Egypt. Don't go to all these places. Don't try to get uh, counsel and help from all these people because you have God. Isaiah 30, this is what the Lord God says, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust 
is your strength, but you would have none of it. I have this on my desk for special times when I get hyper. And I look at this, and I say, okay, I get it. In quietness and trust is your strength. And this is the message that God says to Ahaz. He says to any and all of us who are involved in leadership, he says that to all of us. Because the truth is, folks, all of us find ourselves in situations where we struggle. And perhaps in one area or another, we have everything under control. Everything is hunky-dory, perfect. But then, trust me, God will see to it that there are areas where you have an opportunity to grow and to stretch and to say, I'm going to trust God and to grow. And perhaps in one area, you have things tapped down as far as your relationship to God. But then there are other areas where you have fear buttons. And you look at the mountain and you say, this is impossible. Too hard. And the Lord looks at us, and he's merciful, but at the same time, he, he says to us, knock it off. Stop it. Verse 11 here in, in Isaiah uh, chapter 8, the Lord spoke to me, with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the ways of this people. Remember that in Scripture where you see the expression referring to God's hand or God's arm, it always refers to two things. First of all, God's power unleashed, and second of all, God's special personal touch. And God is saying to Isaiah to say to the people, You have a basic choice. Are you going to fear the people? Or are you going to fear me? Are you going to fear circumstances? Or are you going to fear me? And there are basic consequences that, that come to that. Come from that, rather. What the Lord is saying to... Isaiah is that as you do that, as you trust me, I will be a sanctuary for you. In other words, there, there are two polar opposites, actions we take and consequences that will take place. If we choose to trust God, then he will be a sanctuary to us, a place of refuge, a place where we can run into and have basic security. Amen. However, if we go the other way, then what will come about is a polar opposite. And this is a, a tough, tough message for us to get our arms around because we assume that, that the Lord is uh, touchy-feely, He is loving, He is merciful, and yes to that. But part of the picture is that when we take actions that are not godly, that are not ordained by God, that are not according to his path, then there are consequences. You know, it's, it's like the law of gravity. You, you, 
you're on a on a, uh, a four-story building and and you say I'm going to leap on uh, off it and I'm going to fly. Well, that's very nice. Uh, reality, uh, gravity will smack you in the face when you come down, and you can say, "Lord, you will keep me on on angels." I'm quoting uh, uh, Psalm 91, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are consequences, and what the Lord is saying: you choose to distrust me, which also means you to choose to disobey me. Then I'm going to be like a stumbling block. In other words. You're going to go your foolish way, and guess what's going to happen? You're going to fall smack on your face. And you'll do it again and again until you wake up, smell the coffee, and say, no, I don't want to go there. So part of the picture here is we either trust God or we don't. We either say, Lord, I'm going to do my, my thing and you know the funny thing is I've lived long, I've got gray hair and et cetera. And I see people use all kinds of spiritual language to cover up stuff. And I remember one fellow who was with us, and he basically said, I'm gonna give God or I'm gonna give this Yeshuatio in a year. Things don't turn around, I'm out of here. Well, things didn't turn around according to his specs, and he and his wife um, bolted and I know who is the righteous judge um, however from my limited perspective I don't see that this is how God does business we don't give God ultimatums and say this better change because more often than not God sees fit to keep us in situations where we squirm and, and struggle and fuss because he's got the heat turned up for a good reason. Because he wants to burn out some stuff in us that doesn't belong there. And we can either say, God, okay, I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. Uh, ouch, I, I, I want to bail. But... I will stay with the program, or we can look at God and say, I'm out of here. And folks, I hear that over and over and over and over and over again. And it grieves me. Not because of this is a, a personal thing, and sometimes, yes, it is a personal thing. You know, people leave like, um, like skunks, you know, they kind of spray things. Um, and yes, it's difficult for the congregation because you look at folks and you say, you know, I would love for so-and-so just to stay here and grow with us and learn. But it grieves me because I have no doubt, folks, that God is going to have to teach them some basic hard lessons where they go someplace else. And sometimes it will be lessons that they will have to learn over and over again. They will stumble and fall because they're not willing to trust God. For God to work his best plans and purposes through the difficult times. 
And when we get that, then we experience a strong degree of freedom and rest. This is what the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest, God's rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Again, the connection between faith and obedience. Then he goes on to say, for, therefore, the word of God is, is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword, penetrates to the dividing soul of soul and spirit, etc. Nothing in all the creation is hidden in God's sight. Part of growing in repentance is willing to come up before God and say, God, I am reading your word and I desire for you to speak to me. No holds barred. No holds barred. You have absolute permission to come in and and deal with anything and everything that you desire. And I, I'm saying that in particular as we prepare for the, for the holidays, especially for Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, but just in general terms. Because the Word of God will cut through all the smoke screens and all the baloney that we put up And the Word of God will go deep into all the recesses of our heart and mind. And we either welcome that and say, Lord, this is good stuff. It's not comfortable, but it's good, and I want it. Or we rebel and, and we have the Word of God be a stumbling block to us. We bang our, our, ourselves and we fall and we go splat. And remember, folks, there's blessing in obedience. There's blessing in repentance. Why? Because when we repent, then we are asking for forgiveness, but we're also giving God permission to come and clean us up. And remember, when God does clean up work in us, there's healing involved because typically when this yuck in us it means that there's some woundedness and brokenness in us that God would love to be able to come in and clean and heal and, and set us free and make us whole. Shalom, shalem. And as that happens, folks, as he cleans us up, then he can fill us. And I don't know about you, I want to be more greatly filled with the Spirit of God, more filled with the fullness of God. And it's a simple simple equation. The more yuck there is, the less God can fill. The less yuck, the more God can fill. And then Isaiah goes on to make one more statement. Rather, the Lord speaking through Isaiah. Here I, this is verse 18. Here I am and the children God has, the Lord has given me were signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells in Mount Zion. As God does what God wants to do in us, then we are billboards to the people around us of what God can do, what God wants to do, what God is able to do. 
And it doesn't take a nuclear physicist to understand the fact that, that as time goes on, society around us is getting more and more and more and more and more and more wasted and corrupt. And yes, sometimes the process is slow. And we don't like to wait. This is one of the four-letter words that's right up there. Four, five, whatever. <laughs> Isaiah puts it this way. I will, verse, verse 17, the previous one. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. And yes, there are times when you feel like you're praying and, and God's presence is not very obvious, not very much in the face. But you learn to wait. And you have two Hebrew words here that b convey the sense of not passive waiting. Okay, all right, I will wait. If I have no choice, I will lay down and die. But waiting with confident expectation that God will do what he wants to do, which is good stuff. And you learn to trust. Sometimes it takes a while. I had a conversation with a, with a friend, ministry friend. And um, I shared with him how that the last couple of years, Yeshua Tzion has been growing. It's been amazing. We've been growing numerically, financially. Um, there's been increase in enthusiasm and desire to see God doing great stuff, including the building. It's been amazing. But what I said to him is for 22, 23, 24 years before that, there wasn't a whole lot happening visibly. Now, God was at work. He was not in Bahamas. He was at work. But we waited and waited and waited and waited and waited in confidence that since this is God's gig, he will make things happen. And I encourage this brother because he has gone through a similar period of frustration and weariness. And God is faithful to sustain us and encourage us as we go through the waiting period. And our faith becomes deeper and more mature because we learn to trust God. So as we conclude today, I simply want to ask you a simple question. How big is your mountain? How big is your mountain? The mountain of difficulties, the mountain of opposition that seems to be looming in front of you that, that you are convinced will be there forever and ever. If you're convinced that that mountain is unconquerable, then I want to encourage you today to step back and recognize how big God is. That will put things in perspective, and you'll be like Caleb, who at 80-plus years old said, give me that mountain. I want to take it. And I believe God is calling us
for that kind of a gutsy degree of faith to trust him. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, that you take us as wobbly and struggling as we are sometimes, sinful, unbelieving, disobedient, all of that. We thank you, Lord, that you don't throw us under the bus. Thank you, Lord God, for each one of us here. You know the degree of confidence that they have in you in different, different areas, diff different areas of difficulty in their life. We ask, Lord God, that your Ruach will speak to each one of us, Lord, and bring about that conviction. Enable us, Lord God, to repent because of your goodness. Your goodness leads us to repentance. We pray, Lord God, that we would trust you more and learn to depend upon you more and learn, Lord God, to walk by faith and accomplish the great things you have for us to do as individuals and as a congregational mishpacha. We pray, Lord God, that during this season as we seek you, we pray, Lord God, that your word will be true, that we will find you, Lord God, in new and fresh ways, Lord, that you would receive much honor and glory. Lord God, as we learn to repent, as we learn to trust you, Lord, we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen.